You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. So I want to invite my friend Rob Stone up. Uh, last Sunday we told you how to actually give a testimony about what studying through the book of James recently has meant to him. So Rob and I meet in a grow group on Tuesday mornings, and I've been so encouraged about what God has been teaching Rob and how excited he is. Good morning, King's Cross. Josh wanted me to come up and just talk to you for a couple minutes um, and, and encourage you, if you haven't already, um, to dive into this uh, study of the book of James that's detailed on the King's Cross website. And maybe you've never read James, or maybe you're like me and, and you've read it several times, or maybe you're reading it or have read it as part of a, a study of the Bible and a year plan. And if you're doing that, that's fantastic. Um, I think anytime you're in God's Word, you're, it's time well spent. But I think there's something to be said for slowing down, uh, going a little bit verse by verse, and digging deeper into God's Word and see what God may have to reveal, uh, reveal to you. And if you're unsure of how to do that, as Josh said, there's a couple great study guides on there. There's a 101 and a 201 plan that are on the website, and they'll kind of guide you as a way to go a little deeper in the Word. And so if you're unsure how to do it, I think those are great resources to use. And we know that this Bible is, if you're a Christian, this is the living Word of God. And you could read the same verse ten times. And... And each time, God may reveal a different lesson or a different bit of wisdom to you. And I'll give you an example. Last week, I sat down with James 1, 2 through 4. And it talks about considering it pure joy when we encounter a trial. And that we should allow that trial to take full effect, growing our endurance so that we can be made into a mature Christian, perfect, lacking nothing. I apologize my inaccuracies. That's the simplified country version. <laughs> uh, but that one hit me right between the eyes because I'm certainly not joyous in trial. And, in fact, my first instincts are, how do I get out of this? And, in fact, I'm a lot more, I'm going to admit to you, I'm a lot more likely to go to Google and Google, how do I get out of this? How do I remove <laughs> it from my life? Instead of going to God and asking him, what do you want me to get from this? Mm. How do you want me to grow from this? So guilty is charged. And moreover, I rarely let those trials take their full effect. And therefore, I'm short-circuiting God's plan for growth in my life. And that has an impact on my life, but it may have an impact on my marriage, may have an impact on anybody that I come across. So I encourage you this week, if you haven't, to dive in to James. I'm confident that God will reveal some things to you, as he did me. And if I could give you just one bit of advice, it would be that when you have your time with God, and you sit down, and you're going to pray over the scripture and, and, and talk to God, take just a little bit of time, budget just a little bit of time to listen. Hmm. I think, I know I'm guilty of this, I'll pray to God. I'll talk to God, I'll cry out to God, and then I forget to actually listen. And I think if, if you take a little time and you listen, 
God's going to reveal some, some great things through the book of James. Thanks, y'all, for uh, bearing with me for a couple minutes, and God bless y'all. Thanks, Rob. Well, amen. Worship team, you can come up, and we'll be done. So that's awesome, man. That preaches well. Thank you. And uh, listening's actually what we're going to be talking about in the second half of uh, James chapter 1, so that's a great uh, intro for me, Rob. So like he said, if you haven't been studying over the last week or last couple of weeks, you can start right now. The book of James is actually a great book that you can just dive in midstream. And so you don't have to. You can come Sunday mornings but, and get from what we're sharing. But it's a whole lot better if you're uh, spending time with God directly in his word. And so whether it's the book of James or just whatever book of the Bible that you would be studying, I encourage you to be in the word every day. So if you look at your bulletins and you have one in front of you, maybe if you got one from uh, out in the lobby, or you can access it online at kingscross.org and go to Sunday morning services, you can pull up an online bulletin there. You'll see that the title for this morning is How to Be Right in a World Gone Wrong. How to Be Right in a World Gone Wrong. So this title assumes a couple of things, and the two things it assumes, one is the world has gone wrong. And the second thing that it assumes is uh, you may not be right, but you can be. So world go wrong, and you may not be right, but you can be. However, if you're like me, you probably already think you are right on just about everything. And if you may not think you're right, probably you have a spouse sitting beside you, maybe, that you think they think they're right all the time on everything, as Christy probably would be agreeing about me. Um, you probably think highly, if you're like me, of your personal opinions. Around my house, whenever I am, uh, whenever I make a point that I am particularly proud of, I immediately quote Ned Ryerson. Do you know who Ned Ryerson is? Do you remember who he is? Groundhog Day. If any of y'all uh, watched Groundhog Day, old movie, Bill Murray, where he says, am I right or am I right? Which when I make my confident statement, and then say, ask the question, am I right or am I right to my children or to my wife? I don't leave much option other than to say, of course you are right, based on the options that I've given. But there's one place in my life where I will admit that even though in the moment I may look confident, I am usually wrong. And that is when I get behind the wheel of a car. I may think I know where I'm going, but I don't really know how to get there regardless of how confident I look. My sense of direction is really bad, like really bad. Uh, my inner compass has been broken ever since I started driving, and I haven't been able to fix it. So for 15 years, uh, I think David's going to throw up a map. You got it up there? You see it? Okay, so for 15 years, I have been taking this route from Charleston, South Carolina, to Quitman, Georgia, which is really it's next to Valdosta, Georgia, because that's my hometown. And I've been taking this route for 15 years. And to this day, I still can't get it right. So the way it works is I go down I-95, and I get off in Brunswick, Georgia at uh, Highway 82. And if you keep going in Highway 82, some of you may have taken this route before, you go through Waycross, and if you keep going, you end up in Tifton, Georgia. And it's real simple. There's plenty of signs, and if you have a GPS that you actually listen to, it will tell you to do this to take a left in Waycross to get on Highway 84, and then you can head to Valdosta, and then I could be home for my mom's cooking. I mean, that's all you have to do to be there in time for dinner. But for some reason, I always have trouble. In fact, Christy told me even on this last trip, I don't understand what it is about you and how you can't get this right, that I'll just keep going on Highway 82. 
and end up in Tifton, Georgia, which I've done before, just headed down that road. And uh, so regardless of all the signs and regardless of my GPS, and it reminds me of a passage in Proverbs 14, 12 that some of you may have memorized. And it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. This verse is applicable, uh, and maybe you've thought about it in light for non-Christians, those who don't know Jesus, uh, that living a life apart from Jesus may seem like the right choice uh, for a portion of your life or maybe even your entire life, but if you're not careful, in the end, it will lead to death, which is ultimately the Bible talks about hell. And... uh, now, I'm not saying that Tifton is hell. However, in South Georgia, we have the saying. So the town of Tifton is really close to a town called Adel, and Adel is really close to a town called Sparks. And so the saying goes that Adel is so close to hell that you can see Sparks. But I'm not saying that, but you could if you live down there, and that's how that saying come, came up. But, so Proverbs 14 speaks to those who don't know Christ, but it also speaks, I believe, to those who do know Christ. Speaking And these are some things that we're going to talk about this morning from the text. Speaking before you listen, listen, hearing but not doing, and not pursuing kingdom causes, which are basically our main points that are coming up, may seem convenient at the time, uh, but in the end, relationships are severed, joy is robbed, and your life is wasted. So there may seem like a path that is right to a man, but in the end, it leads to relationships that are severed, joy that is robbed, and a life that is wasted. So the book of James is actually sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. So bridging from Proverbs 14, now we got the book of James, with practical steps that he gives on how to rightly live for Jesus. So this morning I want to talk about how to head in the right direction, down the right path, to rightly obey God, and in doing so, spread righteousness wherever you go. The word right or righteous or righteousness is mentioned in each of James's five chapters. So in every chapter, James refers to the rightness or righteousness or righteousness that we are righteous that we're supposed to be living in or that our life is supposed to be about. So it's a word that is used in chapter five to talk about prayer. In chapter 4, he talks about obedience. He uses the word righteousness to talk about relationships in chapter 3 and salvation in chapter 1. And then to our text today in chapter, uh, salvation in chapter 2 and then purpose in chapter 1. So if you have a bulletin, this is where uh, you can start writing if you want to write because you see our biblical truth statement. And the biblical truth statement for this morning is every Christian's aim should be to spread righteousness throughout the world. Every Christian's aim should be to spread righteousness throughout the world. I believe that each person, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're religious or not religious, has a standard of rightness. And based on that standard of rightness, everyone would agree, I think, at some level, that the world has gone wrong. I googled top world problems just to see what would pop up, and this is the first article that popped up, and it said that these are the five biggest global issues, world problems that we're dealing with on planet Earth today. Uh, The first one was wealth inequality. Uh, It said 71% of the world population 
earns under $10, not an hour, but a day. 71% of the world population, so that's a big problem. Uh, famine was another big global issue. Approximately 690 million people suffer from hunger. Yet in the United States, 40 to 50% of the food ready for harvest never gets sold. I mean, I don't even understand how to even comprehend that. Uh, it also listed homelessness and disease and war. So when I think about these world problems and really all the other world problems that you might be able to rattle off that we're facing in our world today, all of these five and every other one really began in the book of Genesis. And I just thought briefly about what I know about the book of Genesis. And I'm like, man, that world problem started there and that world problem started there. It's all there. And it all started within the first two chapters. Everything was right in the world. God told Adam that if he sinned, that death would happen. Adam and Eve sinned, and God kept his promise. And the immediate results were this. Broken relationships with God. There was strife between Adam and Eve. Uh, there was personal identity issues that they were having to deal with. And then there was physical decay, not only with their bodies, with, but with the creation around them. So in the book of Genesis, everything was right, and then the world went wrong on global and personal scales. So if you fast forward 58 books in the Bible, uh, you, we see James writing to those who were not only getting beat up by the world, but were also being influenced by the world around them. And James is calling them and us to live in such a way that we are able to produce and spread righteousness wherever we go. James's passion, and really the whole Bible from the beginning of, and to the end, is ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, and ever since the world became broken, and ever since we're dealing with wrongness throughout the world, God has given us a mandate to spread righteousness wherever we go, to take a world that has gone wrong and somehow and in some way make it just a little more right again. And so that is, and then specifically, in specific areas that James is addressing here in chapter 1, that we can spread righteousness wherever we go if we, and I'll go ahead and fill, if you want to just fill in the blanks, you can do it right now, because this is where we're headed. Say the right words. If we do the right actions. And if we pursue the right causes. But these are specific ways that James gives in the latter half of the first chapter that we can spread righteousness throughout the world. So again, the biblical truth is every Christian's aim should be to spread righteousness throughout the world by doing these three things. And we're on to point number one here. The first one is say the right words. If you have your Bible, it's not necessary, but it probably would be helpful to have it open because we're going to have words on the screen. So if you don't, you're good because we'll have words on the screen. But I'm going to be bouncing back throughout the text, and so it might be good just to be able to glance down from time to time. Um, James 1, 19 through 21, so this will be on the screen. This is the first portion that we're looking at when it comes to saying the right words. Know then this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
So I've been pretty familiar with this verse, uh, verse 19, and I haven't really known what to do with it as far as how the full verse works. So this idea of being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become anger, angry, I haven't really thought much about it other than, hey, I need to be someone that doesn't uh, talk as much as I listen, and I need to be someone that uh, doesn't get angry very fast. And I really haven't thought much about how this verse may flow. And it is a verse that says we need to be quick to hear and slow to anger, I mean, uh, slow to, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But I think there might be a thread that's happening in this verse. As I've wrestled with it, so trying to wrestle with this passage, I think that maybe what it's saying is people who speak without listening produce anger and spread wickedness. This word rampant actually implies the word spread it. So if you're someone that doesn't pause and listen in your relationships and your communication with other people, and if you're someone who is always trying to air your opinions and say what you think before you're really considering what God says or what the other person says or really what is the best decision in this moment, you can become a person that actually produces anger and actually spreads unrighteousness wherever you go. And people who listen before they speak produce righteousness instead of anger and instead of wickedness, and they spread it, advancing God's kingdom wherever they go. So listening well plus saying the right words means that no one will become angry, ideally, and that righteousness would be spread. And so I thought about this when it comes to the power of words. Uh, we are made in the image of God, right? And so when we think about uh, what we are able to do and the responsibilities we have and how our design makeup is and how we work in relationships with other people, I think we have to start with who we are and how God has created us. And God has created us in his image. And so when we think about what we do and what our responsibilities are and what our capabilities are, it doesn't even compare to the level that God does. There's some characteristics and attributes that God have that we will never share in, but there's some characteristics and attributes that he have that we do share. And when I think about how he created the world, he created the world with words. He spoke it into being. God's words create life. God's words heal. God's words can actually kill. God's words are how he carries out his power to do these things, to create, to heal, and to kill. And we are made in God's image. So therefore, I believe our words are the most powerful means we have to heal or kill. The problem is, for us, is that we lack the wisdom to know how to use those words. And that's why out of the gate, in James chapter 1, in verse 5, that Chip preached about last week, James says, guys, you need to pray for wisdom. <laughs> and so I'm thinking maybe he knows where he's going in the rest of the book. And he's saying the first thing you need to start off with is you need to be people who are wise. Because I'm going to give you some things that you're going to need to do. And if you don't have wisdom, then it's going to fall apart. So we are able to say, so to be able to say the right words, we got to have wisdom. Which I think in getting that wisdom, we need to be quick to listen, quick to hear, and slow to speak. And you've heard the saying before that you might have used with your kids, or uh, maybe your kids have used with you for the adults in the room, uh, God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? 
So to say the right words, you must uh, listen twice as much as you speak. So the question that I have for myself and that I want to present to you is, uh, what are you listening for in your relationships with other people? So if we're wanting to spread righteousness and to be able to make right decisions and say the right things, what are we listening for when James says, be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak? This is what I've come up with three things that I think are uh, very helpful ways to get wisdom. And so for, as far as wisdom for God, you should be listening in your conversations with people and your relationship with him because time allows you to pray before you speak. So James, even in verse 5, he's like, pray for wisdom. And so in my conversations with people, uh, as I'm talking to uh, my friends and my wife and the people that I work with and I'm engaging with them, I need to be listening to the Lord on how he wants me to respond in this situation. So sometimes you can multitask, especially the ladies in the room, right? Guys have a little hard time doing this. You can actually be talking maybe while you're, you're listening and even praying to God. But for some of us, you might just have to pause in a conversation. It might be kind of frustrating to the person you're talking to. Why aren't you saying anything? <laughs> you know, but you're praying to the Lord and you're just asking him for wisdom and how to respond in this particular situation. Uh, you're also listening uh, for wisdom from the person speaking. Right, They're sharing something with you, and instead of you just immediately firing back and airing out your opinions, uh, time allows you to understand before you speak. Actually, I think what's the best for the most beneficial conversation, I think we probably can all attest to this, whenever you have a conversation that went wrong versus a conversation that went right, is that probably one of the first things you should do is just ask questions. So that you can gain more information from the person that you're talking to, which allows you to listen even more. And then also the third is getting wisdom from yourself. And what, does, what I basically mean by from that is time allows you to process what are the right words that you need to say before you speak them. Listening leads to wisdom to know what to say, otherwise you may be saying the wrong thing, how to say it, Otherwise, you may be saying it in the wrong way. We've always been in, already, always, all of us have been in conversations, right? Well, we're saying the right stuff, but it's just not hitting like we want it to hit because we're saying it in the wrong way. Uh, and then when to say it. Otherwise, you may be saying it at the wrong time. Sometimes it's healthy to actually say, hey, I need a little more time to talk to God and to hear from you and to pray about this. So let's kind of revisit this conversation maybe in a few hours or maybe the next day. So verse 21 says this, after James is saying, be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, then James says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I thought, man, there really is a connection here as well in our relationships and how we can spread righteousness among the people that we deal with. Because if you remember, like if we go back to Genesis, the reason why I think like one of the things that James is dealing with is how we interact with other people because that's the one of the things that immediately fell apart in the fall. Like from the very beginning, there was not only problems that initiated from Adam and Eve's sin with man on a global scale, but also even in their relationships with one another. And then they had kids and it didn't go well with them. Like remember, like one killed another kid 
And so James is saying, hey, if we're going to get the kingdom, if we're going to get this world back to where it started in the Garden of Eden, we've got to be spreading righteousness. And in order to do that, we've got to be saying the right things. And here's a plan on how you can say the right things. You are slow uh, to speak, but quick to listen. And so you get to verse 21, and he says, Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what I get from this is really the best way to say the right words is, first of all, to be someone that has received God's word that is able to save you. The only way to be a person who cares enough to listen to someone else is to become a new person, is to actually receive Jesus into your life and so that now you have the Holy Spirit in you who can speak words from you to other people. The gospel turns angry words into kind words. It turns filthy words into pure words. It turns wicked words into gracious words. And then also, the best way to really the best way to say the right words is to implant God's words in you every day. That's why it's so crucial for Rob to come up here and to be to share, be able to share with us how God is transforming his heart and how he thinks and what he does and what he says by just studying God's word every day to plant his word in him and to me and you. The only way to be a person who has the right words to say is to put God's word in you. And if you don't have a plan, this James study is a great place to start. So number one is say the right words in order to spread righteousness wherever we go. Number two is do the right actions. Do the right actions. And so Verses 23 to 25, James writes this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So I think this is really cool how James is saying, hey, you got to listen a lot. But then he says, but there's a point to where you need to just not only listen, but you got to start doing. So be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I didn't put this in my notes, uh, but it just struck me as I'm reading this now. I think it's really important that we uh, recognize that James refers to the word as the law of liberty. And so I think it's really important that we are reading God's word and we are uh, applying it to our lives, that we see uh, the Bible is not a book of rules and a, not a book of you got to do this in order to earn God's favor, that the Bible is the law of liberty. It's by putting God's word in our heart and receiving his word, the gospel initially and then the gospel every day, that we're actually experiencing freedom that otherwise we would never experience if it wasn't for God's word. But do the right actions. But James is clear that don't be hearers, but be doers as well. So I have a friend going out of town, and he has asked my daughter, Anna Claire, uh, to take care of their dog. Lives about 10 houses down from us, and he says, hey, you know, your daughter came over and take care of our dog while we're going out of town. It's actually just going out of town for a couple of days. 
but let's say he's going to be gone for a month. Let's kind of expand this out just a little. So he's going to be gone for a month, and he would like Anna Claire to do a few other things while they are gone on their month-long trip. And let's say the owner, my friend, writes some things in a notebook that they want Anna Claire to do. And so Anna Claire uh, meets with him, and he says, okay, here's the notebook. This is the things I want you to do while I'm gone for 30 days. And here's the list. Feed the dog twice a day. Let the dog out twice a day. Uh, trash pickup is Monday, so make sure you put the trash out on Sunday night. Uh, the toilet upstairs leak, uh, leaks, so if you uh, use it, make sure you turn the valve off. All right, so turn the valve off. Pretty simple list, four or five things that is in this notebook that he hands Anna Claire. So they put the list in a notebook, and then they leave for a month. Now, Anna Claire is very excited about this job, and she does not want to disappoint our friends who are gone. So at the end of 30 days is my friend, or I will say at this point where you might see the story going, my former friend pulls into the driveway. He notices that the trash is piled up on the side of the house. Uh, he walks in and realizes that the entire, entire downstairs has been flooded. And he goes outside and sees that the dog has been buried in the backyard. Former friend. So he asks Anna Claire, he says, uh, Anna Claire, what happened? And uh, she responds with this. You know, I hope you guys had a great time on your trip. And I just want you to know how much I enjoyed the notebook you gave me. I read it every night. I even memorized parts of it. I even called some friends over, and we had great discussions each week on the notebook. The notebook was awesome, and it gave me so much peace and joy and comfort and direction. All right, how do you think my friend would have responded uh, to Anna Claire? So I think you get the point. God gave us his word not so we would simply hear it. In fact, if we're not going to do, uh, if we're not going to respond to what God's word says, Jesus actually says in John 15, guys, you'd be better off not hearing it in the first place. So God gave us his word so that we would do what it says. And in doing his word, we would find the peace, the joy, comfort, and direction that God offers. So on both of the methods, so I'm going to go back. I know this sometimes just seems like an advertisement, but I'm so excited about just giving people an opportunity to spend time in God's Word every day so they can hear God's Word and do what it says. On both of the methods we put on the website that Rob refers to as the 101, 101 and uh, 201 methods, um, both of these plans, they give you uh, a uh, plan to make application from God's Word because God's Word was meant to be applied. So when you read or study or memorize God's Word, you should ask God all along to help you to apply it. And so we provided in both of these studies this acronym called SPECS, S-P-E-C-S. And there's lots of different ways in which you can ask questions to apply God's Word to your life, but this is what we have provided. And so just about every verse in the Bible uh, can be applied to your life by just asking one of these questions that each one of the letters starts with specs. And so when you read a verse, the book of James or anywhere, ask yourself this question and pray to God 
as you ask yourself. Lord, is there a sin I need to confess based on this text that I'm reading? Lord, is there a promise I need to claim based on this text that I'm reading? Lord, based on this text that I'm reading, is there an example that I need to follow? Is there a command I need to obey? Or is there a stumbling block that maybe you're revealing to me that I need to avoid? And so I think those are really helpful ways. Sometimes you might read the Bible and say, this is great information, but I don't know what to do with it. I guarantee you that if you just ask these questions about the text that you are reading, that you're going to walk away with an application that you can pray through and that you can act on because God's word was meant to be applied. So say the right words, do the right actions, and number three is pursue the right causes in order to spread righteousness wherever you go. James 1, 26-27, James writes this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I believe that in these two verses, there's two things that are going on. First, I think James has given us a test of true belief. And that's what he does throughout this book. And particularly, we're going to see that in James 2. Hey, you may think you're a Christian, and you may be, but let me give you kind of a litmus test to, for you to figure out whether or not you really are. I think this is, in these couple of verses, there's a litmus test here, test of true belief. He's saying there is strong evidence that your faith is legit if you can control your tongue, you care for orphans and widows, and you are not influenced by the world. And the opposite is true. There is strong evidence your faith is not legitimate if you can't control your tongue, you don't care for orphans and widows, and you are influenced by the world. I think that James is saying how important it is to be PC. I'm not talking about being politically correct, uh, but I think he's talking about how important it is to be, uh, or the importance of personal conduct and people care. I think those are good litmus tests that he's giving us on how we can tell if our faith is legitimate. So I'll get to the importance of personal conduct in a minute, but first I want to talk about caring for people and how that God's call is, this, is on us to be, to be people who care for others in spreading this righteousness throughout the world. If you look at Jesus' life, and I think in preparing this sermon, uh, the thing that I got just most excited about and almost jumped out of my seat as I was studying was just reflecting on Jesus' life. So we get a good glimpse of what Jesus was about in his last three years of life on earth. And I just did this survey through, I looked through the, the, the book of Luke, and then I went to some other books, and I just did the survey of what Jesus really spent a whole lot of time doing. And this is what I, I, I saw. So if you read his teachings, he taught stuff like go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, give the shirt off your back, Give and don't expect anything back. He shared the popular story of the Good Samaritan. He told people to sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
If you feed the hungry, if you give drink to the thirsty, if you welcome the stranger, if you clothe the naked, if you visit the sick in prison, you've done a really good thing because you've been basically doing these things to me. That that's how much he cares for people. And you see that come out in his teaching. And then if you read about the countless miracles he performed where he's feeding thousands of hungry people, think about these big world problems, right, that we just talked about at the beginning. Jesus is feeding thousands of hungry people. He's healing diseases. He's casting out demons. He's spending time with children. He's confronting people who abused others. And he's ultimately dying on the cross. When you see all these miracles that he's doing, you get the sense that Jesus spent his entire life on earth helping people who couldn't help themselves. And then you get to James and you see him saying as a litmus test to see whether your faith is, in, is legitimate is are you someone who is helping people who can't help themselves? Because if you're going to claim to follow Jesus, you need to be doing what he did. So James zeroes in on orphans and widows. And so the question is, why orphans and widows? There's a lot of different categories of people to be helping. And I think there's a couple of things worth mentioning. What James is not doing is I don't think he's given us a complete list of the only two groups of people that we should be caring for or taking care of. What I do believe James is doing is that he's picking out two groups of whom the Bible has been very clear uh, in the Old Testament and New, that these are, very, these are groups that are very important to God's heart, and it's very clear that we need to be caring about them. So he's picked out these two groups the Bible has already been talking about, uh, two groups that are possibly large in number, and so uh, James is speaking uh, to the issue of that day and two groups because in that day I believe that he was seeing is that these people were very afflicted and they were very distressed. And so James is saying, hey guys, to his readers, this is who you need to be focusing on. But I think it's a whole lot broader than that. It's basically anybody that can't help themselves that by helping them, we're not necessarily going to get any benefit out of it for ourselves, but we are just giving like God gives, that we are just a vessel of grace to other people. And so James recognized two huge needs, two huge needs, and he says, this is God's heart, and therefore, this is our cause. And so when you step back and you think about the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives, and it's outlined in each of the three uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you talk, think about these two greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that that is the umbrella that James is speaking into when he's talking about taking care of orphans and widows. And so my question for us today is, what is your great commandment cause that where we would be able to show our love for God by loving other people well, particularly those who can't help themselves? And this is another thing that I was really encouraged as I was preparing for this, is just thinking about ways in which you, the people of King's Cross, have already been engaged in uh, this great commandment cause and helping people who can't help themselves. For some of you, it is feeding the hungry. And I think about Art Horn and Ron Bycraft and AJ and Megan's community group showing up every month to feed the hungry. I think about 
For others in our church, it is orphan care and adoption, like Andrew Rylands and Hugh and Beth Tappan and all the people who went on our mission trip to Panama to care for special needs children living in orphanages. I think about, uh, for others, it is those in poverty. And I think about Tom Sexton and Gerald Borden and Jack Shannon and the work they are doing to help with our benevolence ministry, which, by the way, we have a significant construction need right now, helping someone uh, rebuild his house that has been destroyed by termites. And so if you're interested in helping this, in this, please reach out to these guys. I think about, uh, for some of you, it is this cause, that, this righteous cause that you are pursuing is racial harmony. For others in our church, it is uh, the life of the unborn. For others, before the pandemic, we had people going to Philip Simmons Middle School and were teaching kids how to read. For Matt Yawn and our Truth and Nature ministry, uh, it is the care of fatherless boys. And uh, stay tuned because he just called me the other day, and he's got this really cool story to share about what God is doing in that ministry, and he's going to be on stage sharing about that pretty soon. Um, we have a member in our church that is ministering to those who are struggling with alcohol addiction. And so every week, he is ministering to those that have this struggle. And so that's his righteous cause that he's pursuing. In fact, I was at the church when this particular group was meeting, and one of the ladies came up to me, and she says, I just want to thank you so much and thank King's Cross so much for letting us meet in this building. She says, because for us, this is a matter of life and death. And I said, you are so welcome. We're so glad that you're meeting in our building. And for us, everything that happens in this building is a matter of life and death, of which you guys are involved in that. So for others, it is getting gifts and gospel to children all around the world through Operation Christmas Child. And I think of Jenny Hartsog and Mary Horn that is involved in that. Another member of our church has mentioned to me that she is ready to help those who are widows or widowers in their time of need. And then I have another friend of mine who has mentioned that he is ready to help those who have been divorced. So honestly, to some degree, and these are just some of the causes in which you are involved in, in spreading righteousness around the world. And honestly, to some degree, just this list and a whole lot more, we should be involved in supporting all of these causes because these are good, godly, great commandment causes. But obviously, you can't pursue every one. And so the question is, uh, how do I choose which calls in which God may be laying on my heart to pursue? Because I believe that everybody should be championing at least some kind of calls that God may be laying on your heart. It may be orphans and, children, uh, orphans and widows. It may not be, but it needs to be how are, you need to ask the question, how am I living out the great commandment to love my neighbors as much as I love myself in my life. Where is the need? Where is God's heart? And how can I get involved? Can't do everything because you only have so much time and you only live one life. But I think these are some ways in which maybe this is kind of a, a way in which to decide which cause do you pursue. I would encourage you to pray and ask for God's heart and wisdom and say, God, in the world I have around me, uh, like, would you please convict me? Would you please burden me? Would you please lay on my heart a way in which I can live out James 1, 26 through 27? Would you please show me a way in which you are burdened so that I can share in your burden? Uh, then I would say pick. 
based on the need and your passions, your ability and time, and then pursue. And there's different ways to pursue. You can serve, you can recruit, uh, but in all of this, you spread righteousness wherever you go in this particular call. So you pray, you pick, and you pursue. But we need to do this in mind, with this in mind. And so there are good causes uh, that we can pursue and that we can live out James 1, 26 through 27. However, for it to be a great commandment, um, cause, and for it to be the right cause that God is causing us to pursue, we've got to not only do the right thing, we've got to do it in the right way. And God's greatest cause that he is all about and therefore, it should be the cause, and in every cause that we run after and we pursue, we should, be, and we should have this as the driving force, and that is the Great Commission. The greatest cause is the Great Commission. So getting the gospel out to every people group should be the greatest, should get the greatest prayer, resources, talk, and action. In fact, if you notice... And this is where I get to personal conduct. The last phrase in verse 27 says this, that you should keep yourself unstained from the world. So I ask the question, why is that? Like, why did James throw in care for orphans, care for widows, and keep oneself from being unstained from the world? And I think it's because of this. In every righteous cause that we would be pursuing, whether it's homeless, whether it's the poor, whether it's Operation Christmas Child, whether it's helping people work through addictions or different stages in life that's really hard, whatever it is, that the driving force has to be the gospel. And so we keep ourselves from being unstained by the world because the greatest way in which we can champion the gospel and the greatest way in which we can um, kill our witness is based on whether or not we are living a righteous or unrighteous life. And so it's not only our words, but it's also our personal conduct. So the greatest cause is the gospel, and the greatest means to spread the gospel is the personal righteousness of those who make up the church. So it's not only pursuing the right cause, but it's pursuing the right cause in the right way, for the right reason. For it to truly be right, it has to be God-honoring, people-loving, and gospel-driven. So whatever big issue you are champion, whatever cause you are pursuing, make sure it's pure and undefiled. Make sure it's God-honoring, people-loving, and gospel-driven. So in conclusion, I just want to end with this. We'll end where we started, that every Christian's aim should be to spread righteousness throughout the world. When you say the right words, you do the right actions, and you pursue the right causes, you are producing and spreading righteousness wherever you go. And as a result, the world around you will be a little less wrong today and a little more righteous tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the Word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen, and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.